0: Dr. Katherine Calvin has been an Earth scientist at Pacific Northwest National Laboratory's Joint Climate Change Research Institute since 2008. Just recently, Dr. Calvin was appointed as NASA's chief scientist and senior climate advisor. She's here today to talk about the new dual role at NASA and share how NASA observations, measurements, and technologies will help us as we look for ways to mitigate and adapt to climate change. Dr. Calvin, thank you for joining us on the Weather Geeks podcast.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here.
0: Now, I, I don't know exactly how to ask this question because we usually ask the, the first question out of the gate is how did you become a weather geek? I don't know if you're a weather geek. So how did you become an earth scientist? geek?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm more of a climate geek, I guess. Um, we will take
0: that. How did so you become my, a climate geek?
1: My background is in math, computer science and engineering. So my undergraduate degrees were in math and computer science. And I started doing research on climate change in grad school. Um, I've always spent a lot of time outside as a kid. I did a lot of camping and um, spent time on the water over time that shifted into hiking and biking. And when you spend time outside, you develop an appreciation for nature and you notice the weather quite a bit. And so for me, when I got introduced to climate, it was really exciting because this is a way to use my technical skills to do something that I, I enjoyed outside of work.
0: Yeah, it's, it's a really uh, important story. And, you know, in talking to climate and earth scientists and weather scientists over the years, I, I, it's amazing how many people have this connection or tie back to their own personal activities outside. And so that really resonates uh, with, with me and then some of the things we've heard on, on this very podcast. Now, I want to dive right in. Uh, you were recently appointed uh, as NASA's chief scientist and senior climate advisor to administrator Bill Nelson. Uh, this happened in January. So congratulations. First of all, um, first of all, give the weather geeks listeners or 101 on what the NASA chief scientist does and then what the, uh, senior climate advisor role is, because I've been around the NASA world for some time, and I I think that's a really important and uh, and new role. So uh, give us a one on one on both of what those positions are.
1: Sure. So as senior climate advisor, my job is to connect the climate science within NASA NASA has a whole lot of research on climate and earth science. It's across all the mission director, it's across all the centers, and my job is to connect that internally and also communicate that externally and to make sure that people, the public, other agencies, international partners know about the NASA climate science portfolio. As chief scientist, my job is, is broader. It's about the whole NASA science portfolio, so not just climate science, but everything that's going on in the science realm within the agency, my job is to connect that and communicate that.
0: So, with, with that intro, let me give you, uh, listeners, a bit of Dr. Calvin's background. Uh, she was an earth scientist at Pacific Northwest National Laboratory's Joint Global Change Research Institute in College Park, and I wanna dig into that a bit later also. Uh, she worked on the global change analysis model and the Department of Energy's Exascale Earth System model. So she brings go, a wealth of experience, and uh, many of you are, and you'll learn more over the course of this podcast. It might be surprised the amount of modeling activity, climate modeling activity at NASA. Uh, She's co-authored over 100 uh, publications, uh, recently investigated growing populations against water scarcity and climate change. And she's contributed to U.S. National Climate Assessment Reports and two uh, special reports of the IPCC. Uh, She has a Bachelor of Science in Math and Computer Science from the University of Maryland. And a master's and Ph.D. in management science and engineering from Stanford, so you can see that NASA got the right person. Uh, they have someone that knows what they're doing and knows how to connect dots, not from a scientific perspective, but also implications uh, to society. So, one of the things, Doctor Calvin, that I always found as a scientist, you know, I, you know, I worked on various weather and climate missions. People just don't seem to understand the role that NASA plays in our sciences. Uh, If you're in an elevator with someone and they say, well, why is a climate scientist working at NASA? Uh, Give us your elevator speech to that question.
1: Sure. So NASA is uh, we observe the Earth from space. Um, so we have this unique vantage point, and we've been collecting observations of the Earth for for decades. We have a decades long array of Earth and atmospheric data that give us a picture of both the state of the Earth today, but also how it's changing, and that helps us understand climate change, to understand the evolution of the Earth over decades. Beyond observations, NASA has a climate modeling program. Uh, So I, as you mentioned, I used to work on a climate model and I knew about NASA's climate modeling program for a very long time. And we use those climate models to understand past, present and future climate. NASA also does technology development. So we develop technologies that can help us mitigate or adapt to climate change as well.
0: So what, what would you say to the skeptic or the critic that says, why is NASA doing climate work for Earth? Why? Why? I thought NASA went to Mars and had Mars rovers and planetary rovers and things like that. Why is what Why are we spending our resources on Earth?
1: Yeah. So NASA does have Mars rovers, and they're very exciting and interesting research that's going on there. But when we learn about Earth, it helps us explore space, and what we learn about space helps us understand Earth. And so NASA uses the the whole solar system to understand um, the the Earth system itself. Um, And again, we have this unique vantage point from space. We can see this, we can see the whole Earth. um, So not just one part, and we see various aspects of it. So we can look at vegetation, at carbon dioxide, at temperature, at precipitation, um, and really understand what's going on on Earth.
0: And and, and I, I know, again, I I have served in various roles advising the NASA Earth System uh, Sciences Program or the Earth Sciences Division. So I know that there, you know, over two dozen or will be over two dozen if they're not currently satellite systems in orbit right now, looking at various aspects of the Earth system from its water cycle to its climate to uh, interior, the atmospheric composition and so forth. Talk to us about sort of NASA's unique approach of looking at the Earth as a system.
1: Yeah. So as you mentioned, we have over two dozen satellites and instruments from space and, and they're 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 observing the whole system so not just you know climate is more than just temperature change there's also effects on vegetation there's effects on ice sheets on sea levels on ocean and nasa looks at all of those Um, so the satellites when they orbit they can see all different aspects of the earth and the different instruments are targeted at different measurements so that we can paint this picture of the earth. And one of the goals we have going forward is building this earth system observatory that gives us a 3D holistic uh, picture of the earth. So adding in more satellites to create this image of what's going on there. In
0: earth and so satellites are only part of the story because as you know that we have various modeling systems we have various verification and validation systems airborne programs at nasa but i think for many people and i again just from my own lens as a former nasa scientist many people still don't understand the connection of NA- why nasa as opposed to NOAA or the department of energy or the epa because there are various agencies within the government that are working on climate. And in the Biden administration, one of the things I've noticed is that climate finds its way into other uh, agencies, non-traditional agencies, transportation, health and human services, and so forth. But if someone were trying to understand the various roles of, say, an EPA versus a NOAA versus a NASA, uh, connect the dots for us.
1: Sure. So each agency has a role in climate and some of it, and um, in, in they, and we work together so we work very closely with agency partners on various aspects of it and so you mentioned you know department of energy i came from the department of energy world first of all department of energy uses nasa satellite observations in their models um, so they work with nasa that way but they also they're, they're modeling a sort of a separate um, but related parts of the Earth system. So the energy system is impacting climate change and is impacted by climate change. Um, and so they're looking at that. We work very closely with NOAA. Um, so NOAA does a lot of weather forecasting um, and they use, um, we work together on satellites there. So we have a launch coming up in on March Targeted for March 1st of the GOES T satellite. This is a NOAA satellite that NASA builds and launches, and that helps with weather prediction. Um, and so we work very closely with those agencies, but each agency, you know, relates climate change to their mission space.
0: I wanna, I wanna go back to something you mentioned because you 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 sort of alluded to your time at DOE. Uh, tell us a little bit about your work, um, uh, recent work at the Joint Global Change Research Institute at the Department of Energy. I'm, I'm curious about what you were up to there before you you hopped over to NASA.
1: Sure, so I, work on, um, I worked on human and earth system modeling, including interactions between humans and earth system. So you mentioned the two models I worked on um, and to, I'll try to not get too jargony with this, but um, so one of them, the exosca- the energy exascale earth system model is an earth system model. So it's looking at past, present and future climate change. And I was helping um, with their, you know, their model development and leadership there um, to try to understand how the earth might change in response to human activity or other factors. The other work I was doing was more focused on the energy or the human system. So we looked at the future evolution of energy, water and land and how that's impacted by climate and how it might impact climate. And so I was trying to understand both of those.
0: By the way, I I just have to say this. We love jargon on weather geeks. This is this is more so. uh, That's why we call ourselves weather geeks. Uh, You know, we we we. We are not afraid to go there, so to speak. I mean, uh, you know, oftentimes when you and I do these types of things in media outlets, we feel like we have to simplify things, but feel more than welcome to to talk, talk the language here, because I think that's why many of our listeners tune in. They they feel like they're eavesdropping on on a conversation that they might not otherwise have. One one question I. I did have for you. Is this and again, I may be wrong about this, but are you the first climate and senior climate advisor or have there been similar roles like that at NASA before? I know they've they've always had chief scientists.
1: Yeah, the chief scientist has been around for a while. The senior climate advisor role, um, Gavin Schmidt, has been acting in that capacity for the last year. I believe he was the first announced um, maybe yeah, about a year ago.
0: That is correct. I do recall that. But but having said that, though, relatively new position uh, sort of in with the most most recent administration uh, to have a senior climate advisor, uh, Gavin, and now you in a more permanent role.
1: Yes. Um, So the Biden-Harris administration has put an emphasis on climate change and a whole of government approach to climate. And I am the point person at NASA for climate change. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Explore
0: more stories like Shayna's at Meta.com slash Metaverse Impact. And we are back on the Weather Geeks podcast. I'm Dr. Marshall Shepard from the University of Georgia, and I'm speaking with Dr. Catherine Calvin, NASA's new chief scientist and senior climate advisor. Uh, A really important role. Just excited to see this role. I want to sort of dig more now into just uh, this, this the NASA, the future of NASA under your purview as chief scientist. But Again, as chief scientist, you're not just thinking about climate, I imagine. I mean, you're advising uh, Administrator Nelson in many roles. So, tell us about, I mean, you're an earth scientist. though. tell us about sort of the, the fire hose of information that perhaps you're getting in that role. Because again, I can imagine if I walked into the door, I know the earth sciences division pretty well, but some of the other aspects of NASA science, you know, would be new to me. So, tell us about what your day-to-day has been as you've come into this role
1: yeah so first i am um, while i am an earth scientist uh, i have admired and been in all of nasa's work for as long as i can remember and so there's quite a bit going on at nasa that i knew because that's how i'd spend my evenings and weekends i remember watching a launch on uh, from a family vacation it was launching out of wallops island we were on in north carolina and my mom had looked this up she's like i think if we look north at you know this time we'll be able to see it. So we were live streaming NASA website and looking north and trying to see a launch. And so I've always paid attention. I also have an interdisciplinary background. Um, I've worked with people from all disciplines, which helps learn more. Um, And so for me, this has been fantastic as an experience. I get to learn about NASA every day from the experts directly. So I talk to people that are working on Mars or the moon and learn about that. And then I get to share their science with the world. And that's really exciting for me.
0: Are there any particular, as you've, again, I know you're familiar with the NASA world, but has, as you've gotten into the NASA world, either on the Earth uh, science side or, or otherwise, are there any particular upcoming or forthcoming missions that really excite you?
1: Yeah, so one of the things I've been watching lately is the James Webb Space Telescope. So you probably saw it. It launched in December. We're expecting first images this summer, and this is going to look back 13 and a half billion years. We can see some of the formation of the early galaxies. We can also look at atmospheres of exoplanets. I've also recently been looking a lot at the Mars rovers. Um, So they're collecting samples and I don't, you probably know about Mars's climate history, but it's gone through some rapid climate changes in the past that we don't completely understand. Um, And some of the work on Mars will hopefully help us understand that. Um, And then as someone that grew up sort of watching movies about the Apollo era, um, we have upcoming missions to explore the moon under Artemis and I'm really excited about those
0: you know, let's, let's kind of, kind of now pivot more back to climate and weather, because I know, again, like I said, I'm, I'm, been part of the GPM mission, which is sort of sort of on the back end. Um, what are some exciting Earth sciences? I mean, missions or weather-related missions that NASA's forthcoming, and or even uh, sort of orbital ground validation missions. Because again, I know NASA. When we hear NASA, people think space and satellites and rovers and astronauts and all those things. But NASA has a fairly robust prom program from the satellite or sort of orbital to suborbital scale, even down to the ground with ground validation. So anything catching your interest and eye in the Earth system science world.
1: Sure. And first, that's a really important point. We, you know, NASA is more than just space-based observations. We do have things like field work. So the above project is doing field work on the ground in the Arctic that you can combine with satellites and models to get a better picture of the Arctic. But in terms of some of the upcoming missions that I'm really excited about, the two that I've been watching in air science space is one is called EMIT. Um, and so this is going to be an instrument launched onto the International Space Station to track mineral dust. Um, and mineral dust, you know, it affects local temperature, and it also affects air quality. So That's really interesting. Um, And then this November, we're launching SWAT, the Surface Water and Ocean Topography Mission, and that'll help understand rivers and oceans. And so oceans are a big sink of carbon and heat. And so it's really important to understand their role in changing climate. And then SWAT's also gonna measure water flow in rivers. And back to my previous research, stream flow and water is really important in understanding like water scarcity. People use water for agriculture energy. And so getting a good sense of how much water there is in rivers and how that changes is really important for those kinds of studies.
0: Now, our producer that uh, worked with me on these notes, uh, mentions the NASA Impacts mission. Now, this is actually one that I'm not quite familiar with, and I probably should be. Given, uh, I guess it's called the Investigation of Microphysics of Precipitate and Precipitation for Atlantic Coast Threatening Storms. Now, I, I don't know if you you might not have had a chance to really dig too deeply into this one yet, because I know you're relatively new. But it looks like it'll have a, a significant impact on understanding weather modeling and snowfall forecasting. Can you tell us anything about that, or is that one that hasn't crossed your your desk yet? <laughs>
1: So, yeah, impacts, I've, I've heard about briefly, but I think, you know, I, what I've been focusing on is some of these other missions. I, I do think that that one's an important one to get to. Um, on the weather side, again, we have this GOES T launch coming up with NOAA. Um, and then a lot of these other, you know, we have a tropics launch coming in April, and that's going to help us understand tropical cyclones. Um, and so those are the ones I've been looking at right now, but I'm really interested in impacts as well. Yeah.
0: And I teach a satellite meteorology course at the University of Georgia. And one of the things that I often explain to the students because they say, well, wait a minute, the GO satellites that we're looking at, these are the sort of workhorse weather satellites uh, that we utilize. I thought those are NOAA satellites, but as you noted, they are NOAA satellites, but NASA helps develop and launch them. You know, the the sort of analogy that I often use is think about, you know, a motor, Ford Motor Company or an automobile maker, Um, they have an assembly line where they're sort of cranking out cars that, you know, people buy, but they also have an R&D arm where they're thinking about the sort of next generation capabilities uh, for satellites or or for cars and so forth. And I've always sort of described NASA's role as sort of pushing the envelope on new technology. Um, We've got to test out a space-based precipitation radar before we put it into uh, operation use. I mean, so how are, how are you thinking, about your messaging? Because I can imagine as chief scientist or as chief science climate advisor, senior climate science advisor, you're going to be called to go to the White House on on the Hill and, and brief folks on these. So how do you explain that role? Because those are even, I know if my students are asking it, you know, Congress, people are going to ask those kind of questions as well.
1: Yeah, and I think the thing I would emphasize, just like what you said, like we work closely with NOAA, we work closely with all of the agencies to try to make the most and learn the most about climate and the Earth science system that we can. Um, and so on the go, satellites we build and launch working with um, NOAA to understand the requirements, um, and then NOAA operates the satellites. With some of the other agencies, you know, we provide information that they can use um, that can help advance their science, and then NASA science also advances science on its own. Um, and so I think what I've been really thinking about is how we all work together, both within agencies within the US, within NASA and international partners as well. So a lot of the missions that we talked about also have international partners like SWAT is developed jointly with the French Space Agency with contributions from the Canadian and UK space agencies. So we work externally as well.
0: I want to throw a couple of things at you to just get your initial response, because I know they're increasingly important for the nation, for the current administration and so forth. One is adaptation and mitigation uh, from the standpoint of climate. I think uh, from from where I sit, I feel like people kind of get that our climate is changing, our extreme weather and climate disasters are happening with more frequency and intensity. So I, I think people asking me all the time, "Okay, we get it. Things are happening. What are the solutions, what do we do? What's NASA's role in that equation?
1: Sure. And I'll just mention a couple of things. So um, one thing is we provide information to people that can help them plan. So we have a a portal called OpenET that gives farmers information about evapotranspiration. So how much water might your crops require? And that can help better plan irrigation and other efforts. On the mitigation side, I think the two things that I would highlight that NASA is doing, one is on the climate modeling piece, which can help us understand how different future emission scenarios turn into climate. But then we also do technology development. So NASA Aeronautics has been working with the aviation industry for for decades to reduce fuel use and emissions, and we're working now on an on an all electric um, airplane.
0: I, I didn't realize that. All this, How how far out are we from that?
1: So there'll be some a test planned in the spring um, with the X fifty seven.
0: Wow, this is this is amazing. <laughs> I'm always astounded by the new things that I am I am learning about what's going on at NASA. Another thing, and uh, that has recently crossed my desk, and I, I actually, in full disclosure, have some NASA funding through a program called the IDS Interdisciplinary Sciences Program there within the Earth Sciences Division. And one of the program managers recently asked me if any of our research on urban hydrometeorological processes was tied into environmental justice or climate justice. I know that that's a really big focus and topic within the federal system. So what are you, what are your thoughts on sort of environmental and climate justice and some of the equity issues that we're starting to hear more about within the administration?
1: One of the things that's really important at NASA is about open science and providing information and not ma- just making it available, but making it accessible. And so I think we have a priority towards making our data accessible and usable by underserved communities.
0: Yeah. So I think, I think that's important as, and as someone who, you know, comes from one of those communities, uh, that's something that I, I think carefully about. Um, so far, you know, what have been your biggest, I mean, how, how long have you actually, again, we're, we're recording this in early February. How long have you actually been on the job now?
1: I started January 10th. What,
0: what, what have been your biggest challenges so far?
1: Um, I don't know that I would say I had challenges. Every day is very exciting. And I think that I guess if I had to pick a challenge, it would be, well, which one do I want to learn about first? Is it Mars? Is it the moon? Is it, you know, James Webb? Is it the Earth Sciences portfolio? It's just everything that NASA is doing is really exciting to me. And so every day I'm like, oh, I want to do that. I want to do that. I want to do this. Um, and trying to, to prioritize all of the things I could do every day just because they're all so exciting.
0: And we are back on the Weather Geeks podcast. I'm Dr. Marshall Shepard. I'm speaking with Dr. Catherine Calvin. Uh, That's a little bit of alliteration there. Uh, The NASA chief scientist and senior climate advisor. We are facing, as a nation, as a world, some significant challenges from the COVID nineteen pandemic to uh, voting issues, racial justice issues, all kinds of things going on in this world. And occasionally, I do still hear the whispers. Well, why why are we investing in space? Uh, why are we Why do we have a James Webb Space Telescope, or why are we sending another rover to Mars? Uh, I, I think that those of us close to the science understand the benefit of science and discovery, and also technology transfer that comes from these NASA missions. But um, how do you answer that question? Because I, I assume that you're going to face that from time to time as well.
1: So a lot of what we learn about space helps us understand Earth. So some of the studies that we we've done on uh, on other planets um, inform us of how the Earth works. So there were some early studies on you know on greenhouse effects, you know, and on other, and we can learn from that we understand where we come from. There's also, as you mentioned, this is the technology development. So some of the work going on on the International Space Station um, has informed how we do things on Earth. One of the things that I've been reading about this week is about LED lighting for indoor agriculture. Um, so on the International Space Station, you know, they've, they've worked on perfecting that. And there's a lot of research on that that helps us grow crops on Earth. And so we can learn a lot from space, both from observing other planets, other solar systems, but also from the technology that we need to develop as we're in space.
0: And one of the things that really caught my interest about your background, for example, you recently investigated growing populations and water scarcity. And, you know, I know the National Academies has often grappled with this idea of crossing over the valley of death. How do we sort of these research communities, these big agencies, how do we kind of uh, approach the so what factor or what I often describe as the kitchen table issues for Americans? Uh, which is okay, yeah. NASA, you got these really cool satellites and toys and missions and models and so forth. How do they find their way to the so what for me, the the farmer in Iowa the, or the blueberry grower here in Georgia? Um, so, what are your thoughts? And again, you have expertise in this, and I, I'm really interested in your your, your graduate degree, the management science and engineering. What are your thoughts on how we effectively? across the valley of death, as they say, this getting the science over the fence into sort of the application practitioner side.
1: Yeah, so NASA has a disasters program. I don't know if you know about this. They have a a big applied sciences program. And part of that is a disasters program that works with local decision makers before, during, and after a disaster. And so just as an example on wildfire, we can use our space-based assets to to better understand wildfire, where things are burning, what's happening with the emissions associated with it. We can look at the effects on land, like burn scars and the perimeters of the fire, and also try to get a sense of fuel availability. And so we work with partners um, with this information and try to provide real-time information that can help them do their jobs.
0: Yeah, I want to give a shout out to Lawrence Friedel and all the folks in the applied science as part of the Earth Sciences Division. I've worked closely with those folks over the years. And, you know, I, 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 I'm really excited because I think that one of the roles of the NASA chief scientist and the senior climate advisor is that I think you're going to be able to. Further get that message out there. I, 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 I'm, I, I can see that you clearly sort of have a handle on sort of the, where the challenges are in the interfaces, and so because I, I don't people, I don't think people know that there's a disasters program or that NASA's think NASA's thinking about those things. So, um, you know, good luck in your mission, sort of the change the narrative. I, I feel like the agency's in really good hands. How, how often do you get access to Administrator Nelson?
1: This is only my fourth week, um, so I have seen on occasion. I don't have any sense of, you know, what the long term or the regularity of that is. Right,
0: but that so those things will sort of emerge over time. What what would you, you know, you're an inspiring scientist. You're one of the leading scientists in the nation. What would you say to aspiring scientists that are listening to this right now about sort of your career trajectory and whether you envisioned maybe 10, 15 years ago sitting in the, the seat you're sitting in right now? Give, give us a look, because I know we have some young listeners, some students, uh, high school, college age, graduate students that listen to listen to this podcast. Tell us, tell them about your trajectory and sort of your lessons learned along the way.
1: Sure. I mean, I guess I would say, you know, keep asking questions and go where it's exciting. So the best advice I got in grad school was don't worry about the far future. Worry about what's best for you right now and take the most interesting path at the time. Um, and that's really served me well. And so my career has evolved from being, you know, purely math and computer science to climate, to interdisciplinary climate, to human and earth systems, to now NASA's broader portfolio. And so I think, you know, just let that go where it goes and then keep asking questions. Like that's one of the things I love about my new job is I get to learn new things every day. There are no bad questions. Just keep learning.
0: Are there any skill sets or things that you wish that in, in retrospect, and now that you're in a sort of a senior administrative role, any things that you wish that you'd picked up or sort of, you know, dabbled in a little bit more to prepare you or are you, are, are you the sort of along the way you, you think you've kind of experienced everything you need to, and we're just kind of all learning as we go.
1: Um, And I think I've learned, you know, a lot of it as I go. So there's nothing huge. I would say the thing that um, I think is really important that I probably didn't appreciate early enough is the ability to communicate with the public. Um, You know, we like to speak in our, you know, scientific jargon, which is okay on this podcast. It's okay on (laughs) Weather Geeks. (laughs) um, But I think, you know, I think that's really important is figuring out how to communicate your science um, to other scientists and the public. And I learned that as I went. And I think that the earlier you learn that, the easier things get.
0: What do we expect? You mentioned the James Webb Space Telescope. And again, we're we're recording this on February 2nd. It'll likely air in the next week or so. Um, By the time this airs, will we have seen our first images from the James James Webb or what's our timeline on that?
1: Images expected this summer, so not by airing date for your. Okay,
0: account. so there there is quite a bit of sort of sort of checkout and sort of assessment time before public images. Uh, yeah, so forward. since
1: launch, it spent some time getting to its orbital point, which is about a million miles away from Earth. And then it unfolded all of its mirrors and got ready. And now it needs to cool down and calibrate. So it works in a really cold, dark environment.
0: What 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 is JWST going to give us that Hubble couldn't give us?
1: So it's a different type of technology and it's orbiting in a different point. So it can look back much further in time. So 13 and a half billion years. So it'll see some of the early galaxy formations.
0: Yeah. one, one, one other question just about sort of you know, one of the things I've watched over time is sort of the, the sort of emergence of sort of the federal private partnership as it relates to space. You know, you, you, you see SpaceX co-located with NASA and Kennedy Space Center and so forth. Uh, do you see that as an emerging trend and do you see that further emerging in other areas of NASA, say, or sciences or other sciences, sort of this private federal partnership?
1: That is a great question. Um, I, you know, I think there's a lot of private industry getting involved in climate and other things. So you're seeing some of these data portals pop up about emissions. I don't, you know, I'm on week four. And so I'm not exactly sure how that'll evolve with the public partner private partnership yet.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's a question. Again, that's a part of that uh, sort of sustained fire hose of information and, and exposure to the uh, that I'm sure any new um, senior administrator to NASA will have. Uh, what what where can people find more about you? Are you on social media? Do you have any websites you want to point to?
1: I am not on social media. I sometimes look, but I don't post at all. Right. Um, but, but- so I think the best source of information about me is from NASA. I-
0: Yeah. So we, we can find a website on you on the NASA website though, at this point, my
1: bio should be up there. Okay,
0: great. So if you want, want more information on Dr. Calvin, I really hope that you'll, you'll check her out. Um, Good luck in your endeavors. I, I know this is a, huge undertaking. Thank you for your service to the nation. Before we get out of here, though, I've got to highlight our Geek of the Week. We like to highlight a scientist superstar, a great geologist, or a weather weenie at the end of every podcast. This episode's Geek of the Week is Corey Davis. Corey grew up as a kid tracking tropical storms and hurricanes on the North Carolina coast, and he got his bachelor's and master's degree in meteorology from North Carolina State University, and is now the assistant state climatologist for the North Carolina Climate Office. Uh, He's a web developer, weather historian science storyteller prolific punster and an unashamed umbrophile, which is an eclipse chaser Uh, he was nominated because he is truly a true weather geek if you or someone you know would be a deserving candidate for our next geek of the week uh, please check out our social media pages dr calvin thank you so much for joining us on the weather geeks podcast
1: thank you so much for having me
0: and good luck and thank you all for listening and we'll see you next time